and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia, and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. So this week, on the request of one of our Patreon subscribers, Thomas, we are going to discuss the 1977 horror movie Suspiria, directed by Italian filmmaker Dario Argento. Jessica Harper stars as a ballet student who transfers to a dance academy in the Black Forest, where she is quickly embroiled in a world of supernatural horrors, including several grisly deaths. Um, It's known for its lurid colour scheme and memorable score by the prog rock band Goblin. Um, And it gained a cult following, but it has, it's kind of an acquired taste, I think. And we both watched this uh, film for the first time this week. Yeah, so I had, you know, heard about this movie for many, many years. It's definitely something that sort of film people talk about with a lot of reverence. It is a big cult classic. And it was just never something I got around to, although I always meant to. Horror is not really my genre, although I can definitely appreciate a good horror movie. But as a result, this wasn't something that I was like, oh, I have to see this right now. So this was a great excuse to get around to watching it, particularly because there is a remake coming in the fall that we'll discuss a little bit at the end of the episode. And uh, I found it totally fascinating to watch this, particularly because at the end of last year, I wrote an article for The Village Voice uh, about a retrospective series going on in New York on um, gothic cinema and this was not a film that was included or else I probably would have watched it at that time but there were a lot of movies across many decades but including the 70s that were kind of good context for this. This has as you said a lot of kind of funny supernatural elements and that was definitely not a unique thing at the time like there was there was a genre of film I mean this this movie is about witches I mean I think you know we're gonna have spoilers in this episode but like it's not really a spoilery movie you know also it came out in 1977 but like it is very much at the height of the sort of um you know occult stuff horror and general pop culture period (laughs) yeah I mean the sort of most obvious comparison is Rosemary's Baby which came out uh, around a decade before this and somewhat predates the slightly schlockier run of supernatural horror films. There's a lot of Christopher Lee stuff that comes in the 70s that is a lot of fun. And obviously, um, Vincent Price did many, many, many uh, a horror film in the mid-century. But Rosemary's Baby is a great comparison to this because it is also about a young woman surrounded by crazy people who then discovers that there's like occult stuff going on. I haven't seen Rosemary's Baby in a very long time, so we won't go on and on about that. But just to sort of give some context about other films happening around this time, this is obviously an Italian movie, but I think is generally consumed in English, although it was um, dubbed which I think you emailed me and were like, I can't find a non-dubbed yeah. version of this film. <laughs> it's like that I looked up and it turns out it's always dubbed. You cannot watch an original version because there's no such thing as that because Italian filmmaking for a long time, they would film it and then just dub it like spaghetti westerns. So what happened with this film is it's an international cast. There's like German, Italian and English speaking actors. The lead actress, Jessica Harper, is American. So they just filmed them all speaking in their native languages in translated versions of the script. So they were like, giving an authentic performance and then dubbed over the top. So it's kind of a weird experience. I feel like if you're someone who watches a lot of Italian movies and a lot of maybe Italian horror movies, you're going to find it easier to engage with than I did because I was kind of, I found it a bit sort of jarring and also quite silly. It is a silly movie. but yeah. I think you notice dubbing more than I do. 
I notice it we've, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> we've had this discussion about some movie before. I can't remember what. Not an Italian film, just something where there was some dubbing going on. And I definitely, like, I, of course, noticed this was dubbed. Like, there are a few moments where it's very obvious that, you know, whoever is speaking is not speaking in line with the audio. But I just don't pay attention after a while. Like, I mean, I think also the performances in this, it's not, I guess I kind of went into it thinking it was going to be more of a sort of psychological horror movie than it actually is. Um, It is quite schlocky, but the performances are like very much kind of cheesy 1970s horror movie by and large. (laughs) So that kind of adds to it a bit. I think I enjoyed this and appreciated it more than you, which really surprised me because I think of this kind of thing as more a you thing. It is. I loved all of the visuals and I was really into the music. Yeah. But I think that I definitely appreciated it more because I had watched all of those other films for this piece that Mm -hmm. I wrote. And I wrote that piece for The Voice because they suggested that I do it like I got an email and they were like oh do you want to write this piece and I was like sure like (laughs) absolutely I don't I don't have anything to do um it was right before I got my job and I I thought it was really funny because they thought of me for it and it was this list of films that like were not stuff that I normally would ever watch I had seen like two things on the list before and those things were like Rebecca and something else which were not representative of most of the movies on the list right and this as I said that kind of movie is still not like my favorite kind of movie but it definitely was an interesting experience and gave me an understanding of the genre in an interesting way and some of the movies in that series were atrociously bad in a way that (laughs) made me wonder why they were being programmed like it was for this uh, cinema called Metrograph in New York which definitely does a lot of like interesting counter programming like they're very hipstery and like to do sort of funky stuff but some of the movies I was like I don't care how like off offbeat you are like this should not be in a fucking like this is just bad <laughs> um whereas this is something that as you say is a bit schlocky and the fact that the the sort of twist at the end is like they're all witches and then it's not and really it's like delved into <laughs> it's right. like you really don't go to this film for plot right um but the whole thing is really well executed in a way that some of those other films from that period are not. It's like one of the other ones I was thinking of watching this is is not uh, tremendously like this in a lot of ways, but has a similar sort of occult tone is the Christopher Lee movie that I watched for that series called The Devil Rides Out, which is totally fun and stupid, but stylistically, like, not particularly impressive which is fine because if you watch that movie you know what you're getting into it's like a christopher Mm -hmm. lee horror movie as i said it's very fun but it's not attempting to be high art in any way (laughs) it, it is what it is it's fine and this i found to be a kind of interesting mix of very kind of pulpy b movie horror elements like the actual plot resolution and um, the scenes where people actually die, which are extremely violent in a way that I did not find massively enjoyable. And then, as you said, the visuals in like in general, like the production design, um, the cinematography, and the then the music were all so inventive 
in a way that wasn't just like, oh, this looks cool, but I felt was actually really doing something for the story. And so that combination, I think, is probably why it has survived in a way that most of these other films have not. It reminded me a lot of Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I absolutely adore. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of Bram Stoker's Dracula, but like, interestingly, the other film that it reminded me of, because I went into it being like, oh, I've heard this was an influence on the TV show Hannibal. And after watching it, I was like, this was not, apart from the fact that Brian Fuller likes production design, there's not really any similarities here. Um, but it made me realize that it must have been a really big influence on Gore Verbinski's movie A Cure for Wellness, which I feel like I must have mentioned at some point on the podcast, but... It's a film that I'm assuming the studio allowed Gore Verbinski to make as a passion project after making a fuck ton of money from Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, But it's a very long, extremely beautiful horror movie that is just trash and stars Jason (laughs) Isaacs as this guy who's like, he's like, I'm not going to spoil you because some of you may want to watch this film, but he is an evil owner of a spa in like the German or Swiss mountains somewhere. And then he kind of kidnaps Dane DeHaan and there's a lot of kind of eel-based torture and weird incest stuff but it's it's very much in this same vein to the point where I was like oh is this like a man remake of Suspiria <laughs> um it's very and also very very beautiful visually but um has some issues with the genders shall we say <laughs> um but yeah I was like okay this is influential on this and like clearly I think like there's the visual style is so distinctive that like if you make a horror movie and you decide to go for this kind of technicolor aesthetic people are immediately going to be like oh, okay it's Suspiria land yeah I mean the uh, the production design as we keep saying but I guess we should talk about it in a little more detail is just astonishing like I can't think of a movie I have ever seen that is more just like eye-poppingly crazy than this film. It is so, like, unbelievable. The, the backstory for this is that he was inspired, Dario Gento was inspired by Disney's Snow White, <laughs> which is a Amazing. wild choice. <laughs> um, and it uses the same kind of color film dyeing technique as The Wizard of Oz, which is why it's like a color palette that you just don't really see in contemporary films because it's literally just a different technique. And then it's mostly filmed just on sets um and like an italian film studio so it's like they've got these very kind of beautifully designed colorful interiors with loads of murals and then the lighting is just absolutely bonkers so for credits purposes the production designer is giuseppe bassan and the cinematographer is luciano tavoli whoever they are they're geniuses (laughs) worked on many italian films that i've never heard of and will probably never see and it's got this just this very kind of fairy tale mood which after watching it, I once I was looking up more information about the film, I was like, oh, this is starting to make more sense to me. Um, because as well as being this very sort of classic gothic fairy tale setting of like, she goes to this secluded place and then is trapped with a bunch of evil witches. It was originally written thinking of it as a children's ballet school. So he wrote this for like 12 year old girls. And a lot of the girls in it act really immaturely. There's a scene where they're sort of bickering and sticking their tongues out at each other that's really weird because they're adults. And it's like, okay, you just literally did not change the script that he originally had, um, which was co-written by this Italian actress and his wife at the time, Daria Nicolodi, who kind of was into fairy tales and based it on some story her grandmother told her about, you know, a, a music academy that had witches in it, which is a very sort of uh, telling a little girl sort of fireside chat narrative I feel (laughs) it's like it just it definitely has that kind of mood and I think the fact that it's for 12 year olds me or the fact that it was originally intended for 12 year olds may explain why it was sort of surprisingly sexless 
Um, because it's set in a dance school. All of the main characters are they're either these like, you know, beautiful young women who are ballet dancers and like one beautiful young man, and then the kind of evil old troll-like teachers who are kind of trying to control them and then, you know, secretly being witches and hounding them to their deaths, right? And it's like usually in that situation, there's either a lot more kind of body stuff like especially in a ballet school this is like the only ballet movie I've ever seen where there's not a ton of stuff about the strain of the body and I suspect that's just because maybe Dario Argento just didn't even know or care about ballet I think <laughs> there's like no dancing in this film and I, I suspect the kind of remake may go in a different direction with that but there was like no real kind of sexual tension and it definitely wasn't sexualizing the actresses um, I feel completely neutral about that I don't think it's like a bad side or a good side it was just sort of surprising to me I guess yeah I found that quite interesting also um particularly because one of the other films in that series that this made me think of was an Italian film from the 70s called Fascination which I strongly do not recommend that anyone watch it was a piece of garbage (laughs) and it was made by a director whose name I do not recall and it doesn't matter uh who when his like normal film career wasn't going very well would make porn films and you can tell watching this movie it's basically a softcore porn film like it's so bad but it's about this sort of like group of women who live in this secluded castle i think in france i think the movie was in french but i'm pretty sure the director was italian and then this like one man sort of comes upon them and you can kind of imagine the the way that this goes and it turns out they're witches and they eat men and then the one woman who kind of falls in love with them has to decide whether to eat him or not and i think he does wind up getting eaten but i can't really recall there's a lot of really gratuitous boobs and like it just on and on and on and on but that is a more kind of familiar narrative than what is going on here right the sort of like threatening female sexuality where they're all like hidden off somewhere like when all the Mm -hmm. all the ladies are off in a secluded place which can be executed very well obviously i mean i i can definitely enjoy that trope and i mean i watch a lot of this type of film so (laughs) yes um for sure and and it mean it can be done a variety of ways the other thing this made me think of was um (laughs) a ballet that i recently saw with your parents (laughs) (laughs) choreographed by jerome robbins which features which was also choreographed in the 70s and i think must have been inspired by him going to a lot of movies like this but he couldn't make a movie and he could make a ballet which is about a bunch of sexy spider ladies who like clearly live in their own little place and then a man comes in and they're all like ooh, and then they want to eat him and one of the ladies falls in love with him temporarily and then they eat him anyway and you can tell Love that it. that's what's happening. Just, I mean, it's very well choreographed. <laughs> the narrative is clear. Great, great stuff. Whereas this is, like, there are some male students there, but it's clearly a very female-dominated space. All the instructors are women. The pianist is a blind man who also winds up dying. Spoiler alert, like many of the other characters. But as you said, the sort of sexual dynamics are not really explored and i don't think that's a negative thing either it was just kind of interesting that that wasn't really a part of it particularly because it ends with the main character who is this young woman having to like kill the i mean in many ways it's a very sort of basic classic sort of final girl horror movie narrative you know yeah but like the story itself was intriguing to say the least because it felt like almost unfinished it didn't 
it didn't really make sense, which I don't in general have a problem with. And especially in this kind of film where it's meant to be more experiential. And I guess like some people get into it and other people don't. And I didn't really. But um, clearly like Dario Argento must have been really into witches because apparently the inspiration behind this was some pretty obscure shit. Like as well as his co-writer kind of partly basing it off fairy tales she knew, he was inspired by this book, um called Suspiria de Profundis by the writer uh, Thomas de Quincey, who I'm not particularly familiar with. Like he wrote Diary of an Opium Eater, which I do know, but um, apparently this was like a series of essays about sort of the 18th, 19th century equivalent of fantasy stories, I guess. But like this film didn't really go into any of the witchcraft stuff. (laughs) So it's like the most of the story is like she's at this ballet school And then there's various things are happening which are menacing. So there's a point where all these maggots fall through the ceiling and then it's like, oh, actually, this is just rotting food, Um, which was kind of an interesting choice, I thought, because it's like some of the problems that the main character faces are clearly not supernatural and some of them are. So she's left in this state where you can understand why she's not run away because you can kind of legitimize to yourself that like, oh, I guess it was just a surprise mag- like maggot infestation. And <laughs> maybe the directress of the school really is just a weird snorer instead of being like an undead person who's kept in a coffin in her cupboard, you know. Um, but also there's these deaths. So it's like, you know, there's one death where the, the the blind guy's dog kills him. Um, and then there's another one where this girl is being sort of chased by a person around the school and winds up being sort of hounded into what is clearly an intentional trap. Like she ends up in this room full of razor wire and this sort of thing. And it's kind of like the witches are simultaneously kind of have these students here for fun to sort of like, oh, well, sometimes you just want to like kill people. And then other times it's like, well, what? there's such a bother. They're constantly uncovering our secret witchcraft problems. And when you finally like find out what's actually going on here, it's in this like hilariously corny like info dump scene where someone's Amazing. like- Amazing. It's so, Amazing. I was like, I was like cracking up because it was honestly like something from the room. Like she went, she goes into town to find more information about what was going on with like one of the former students. And she finds um, this girl's psychiatrist who- just throws doctor patient confidentiality to the wind and it's like yes you know she just seemed so obsessed with witches and then just gives this like long explanation about like what witches and be like oh yes did you know that your school used to be a former dance school and occult academy that normal combination of things that we all see so often (laughs) and then he's like and here's my other psychological institute friend who also is an expert in witchcraft but then once she gets back to the school realizing everyone's a witch they don't really kind of i could have done with some more magic i guess Maybe not an actual real criticism, just a preference. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that scene was amazing to me because the guy is doing his little monologue and then it's like, here is my friend, an incredibly like successful and internationally recognized psychologist whose specialty is about how the occult is real. And I was like, that's not a thing at all. I don't think that the psychologists would approve of that particularly. I just had a general kind of like feeling throughout this film. I was like, does Dario Argento know about stuff? Maybe he just doesn't know about like stuff. And it's okay. It's all (laughs) fine. But I just found that scene so funny. And then the older occult expert psychologist comes over and is like, just says some stuff. But none of them offered to help. I just realized. None of them are like, oh, there's been some murders, have there? Well, I guess I should give you a history class, but be on your way, 18 year old girl. (laughs) 
And she's like, oh, hmm. And then leaves. It's like, okay. No one calls the cops at any point, even though there have been, like, violent murders many times. It's fine. It's all fine. Then... This is not, this, none of these are really criticisms. Like, I did no, not mind. It's, but just, it, it's, it's just the mood of the film. It's entertaining. <laughs> the one thing that I did find, like, humorously and slightly annoyingly dumb was that she eventually finds, like, the door to the, the secret lair by counting the footsteps of the, like, instructors walking at night to go to their witch meeting. And she winds up, like, walking through the whole school. Being like, well, I know it was eight steps. I was like, that's not how sound works. <laughs> like, you could not have listened from your room and been like, oh, yes, eight steps this way, seven steps this way, five steps this way on the opposite side of the building. I could definitely hear that well. And I was like, it's fine. It's fine. It's, we can just explain this away. Just- maybe, I, maybe I missed that part because I just remember the part where she like decodes the message from the other part, girl and finds, like, finds the flowers in the wall. See, that was fine. Yeah. That's like hitting the button to open up the lair. But where she, the way she actually finds the lair is, is very stupid. And that's okay. This movie is not about, as you said, the plot. It's about the experience yes. of watching it. I think actually now is a good time for me to ask you for your art history expertise. Because I feel like the listeners could do with an explanation of what expressionism is. Because I yes. feel like this is a good example of a movie that is definitely expressionist, but is not from the 1920s, which is kind of typically what we associate with that word. Yes, yeah, so German expressionism was the major art movement in Germany in the 20s, both in visual art, but I know it more on the film side because I'm a film person. This is not my particular area of specialty, but if you take any film history class, you learn about this through The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which I would recommend. It's a great film. I keep meaning to watch it. It is about furniture, yes. (laughs) Um, Technically. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's my main memory of it, right? Like, that is the thing that sticks with you from that film. So, basically, the idea of of this movement was that you would... um, have the visuals in your film express the emotional or psychological content of what was going on. Mm-hmm. So there was no attempt at realism. And I get like, there were lots of paintings that sort of did the same thing. And this is all taking place in the aftermath of the First World War. So it's sort of part of the general birth of modernism. But there is a particular kind of sort of extreme style that is we would associate with a kind of horror movie aesthetic now although that obviously was not what was going on at the time but um there are scenes in the cabinet of dr caligari where someone is sitting at the bottom of a room and i say bottom of a room because the room has these like giant diagonal walls that go up for like what would be many many stories right and it's to symbolize they're like trapped or whatever i really do not do not remember the plot of that film at all what you remember is these crazy preposterous like set design yeah. situations and it was like it was a huge innovation this is nothing had been done like that in american cinema which obviously with this incredibly new art form still the narrative films had not been made for very many years before that and germany had been otherwise engaged for that time so this is basically the birth of german cinema and they're doing all these interesting things 
And this is clearly uh, descendant from that in a way that I found really interesting because the exterior of this house that's supposed to be in the Black Forest is based on an actual building in Germany. It's red and gold. It's really sort of extreme and beautiful looking. Um, And they recreated it in Italy. So, which was funny to me because the whole time I was looking at this building, I was like, that is the least German building I've ever seen. And I was wrong because this building does exist. (laughs) But the interiors are so preposterously not German. Like, there's just ludicrous. I don't, I mean, it's not even that they look particularly Italian either. Like, they just look like, I mean, they look like some maniac has paid a bunch of artists to design their house. Yes. Um, They're so brightly colored. They're so just 70s nuts in an amazing way. But not what you particularly associate with German art. And certainly not like early 20s expressionism, which is obviously not what he was going for at all. Um, But that is very much the movement that this is inspired by and i think that the dubbing actually plays into this certainly for the english language audience and i this was dubbed in many many languages although again i think it's primarily consumed in english now but part of the reason the dubbing didn't bother me even though like you are someone who it did bother because you notice it so much but i think most people don't really and i should say like i would never watch a movie that was made like in another language dubbed like that's terrible but something like this which was made in this odd way is fine because i think subtitles don't bother me but there is a tiny bit of your brain that is then dedicated to Mm -hmm. what like watching that instead of the film right which is fine but i think this you are supposed to so just not be giving any of your attention to anything but the experience of watching the movie and the soundscape also is doing kind of the oral equivalent of what the visuals are meant to be doing, which is like it is so loud and overbearing in a great way. Like it is, it is just so bizarre. much louder than the dialogue, and it's also very. Yeah, it's not kind of like here's some atmospheric horror mu- uh, music that you will remember because it's a memorable film. It's more like fucking blasting you in the first scene before she's even reached the dance school. You know, she's leaving the airport or the bus station or whatever it is, and as soon as she kind of she's starting what starts walking towards the door where it's all kind of of course a rainy storm outside at night and then this like fucking weird like bell like 1970s almost techno-ish sort of shrieking music starts and as soon as she opens the doors and goes outside it vanishes and then it keeps coming back and going forward and it does become really evocative because you're immediately like the horror music's here even if nothing's necessarily happening so it's like for me the most effective part of the film yeah and immediately recognizable and I think the dialogue is the least important sound that's happening. Oh, yeah. In the movie, right? Like, it doesn't actually really matter what they're saying. Because you, you could follow the plot of this film without any dialogue, I think. You could just, I oh, mean, yeah, obviously, probably. Like, you'd probably be briefly confused about some things. But you could pretty much follow what's going on. Whereas the music is incredibly necessary for the experience of watching it. Because it does... It's it's overbearing at times. It's very, very loud. But that's kind of the point, I think. You're supposed to be having this experience of like, oh my god, what is, what's happening? What's going on? A bit like, because um, I was trying to think of like films, contemporary films that have things in common with this. And I really wish there were more films that were kind of expressionist in this way, where it's like, this is a film that you can only possibly execute in this medium because it has to have this like visual stylization, which I think most of the time is like, it's too weird 
to really I guess probably even get like the funding <laughs> for that because people are just gonna be like it's gonna be too strange like it needs to actually have a narrative that people can understand easily whereas if you're watching like independent theater you'll still see really bizarre set design and that sort of thing in the same vein as you know a German expressionist film because you know you're playing to like 200 people but Under the Skin has a similar thing to this I think that was the movie I was thinking of yeah I mean that's the always the example I use from recent cinema of a movie that is completely designed to be just experienced in a way that I find so impressive and admirable because while I totally love movies that have really smart dialogue and really sort of complex psychological characterization, film as a medium can do unique things. And part of that is sound and image without dialogue. And I always think that when movies can sort of use that, that that's sort of the purest form of cinema. And I just, I love the experience of going to a movie and, and, and that happening. And Under the Skin is the sort of ne plus ultra of that in the past five to 10 years, I think. There is some dialogue in it, but very, very little. And it, it's just so, like, you're just, pinned to your seat like oh my god i'm so glad i saw it at the cinema which isn't to say that all of you shouldn't watch it on your computers or televisions because it's still great but seeing it in a movie theater was very much like oh my god (laughs) whoa and the music for that which was done by um mika levy yes is similarly holy shit she's very good jackie is a little bit like this also Yes. Actually, also done. I mean, not to the same extent, but it's interesting to think of like the various. Um, we did an episode on Jackie, right? Yes. Yeah. The various film scorers who are drawn to projects like this, uh, and you can kind of follow them and find movies that are have this quality. Um, you were never really here, which was my favorite movie movie of the year so far. Is way plottier than the films we're talking about but is probably the film I've seen this year that is the most kind of pure cinema in the sense that you all the information you get is through the camera. Yeah, there's, um, no, there's absolutely no yeah. exposition whatsoever. None. So I was just, yeah, and also hilariously, because that film essentially is a thriller about a violent man saving a teenage girl from human trafficking, right? And it's very easy to market as like, here's like a violent man who's going to save a vulnerable girl from human trafficking, right? So it's like, all these people will have gone to that film being like, I'm going to watch a violent thriller. And then you're watching this movie where like one of the opening scenes is the guy putting a plastic bag over his head so he can relive the trauma of his childhood through self-asphyxiation and they don't explain (laughs) what that means. It's like, you just have to figure that one else out, kids. And it's like, just, it's, yeah. (laughs) wild stuff (laughs) it's a lot (laughs) yeah great movie if you want to be traumatized i highly recommend it um we've gotten off topic and that's fine um i think i think to wrap up we should talk a little bit about the upcoming remake yes uh so luca guadagnino lately of call me by your name fame has already shot a remake or homage of this film, which is coming out in November. So this is a very well-timed podcast because we're obviously going to have to talk about that film and then you can do a little mm-hmm. double feature with quite an impressive cast 
of characters, including Dakota Johnson and the great Tilda Swinton. I'm very intrigued by this. I kept thinking about it while watching. Yes, because this, this movie. is this is one of the few movies where it's simultaneously a cult movie that's really beloved and also really really remakeable. Um, because obviously no one like someone like Luca Guadagnino is not going to be like, oh, I'm just going to do a rip off version. You're like, yeah, Zack Snyder did like a remake of a classic like Romero zombie movie, and it was like, why would anyone do this? Um, and with this, it's like you've got this film where the reason why so many people, especially film buffs, love it is because it has this unique sort of atmospheric, visual, like auditory situation. Um, and the reason, and you can remake something which gives you the same sensation, but looks completely different. And also you can change elements, like for example, having actors who are to a modern audience acting really well, <laughs> which I think is what we're going to get with people like Tilda Swinton. Like the supporting cast includes Jessica Harper, who's the lead actress from this in one of the kind of older lady roles, and also the lead actress from A Cure for Wellness, which is intriguing to me because you've got a little crossover here. And I was like, interesting. She's one of these people who um, looks a little bit weird. So I imagine she does quite a lot of horror movies. Um, kind of uh, looks like like a weird looking catwalk model kind of aesthetic. Um, and uh, yeah, like this, this movie hasn't got a trailer yet. I think the trailer may be out by the time we released this podcast but um i recall at can they showed a clip or something to um a bunch of film critics which was of dakota johnson in ballet class um where she sort of hallucinates that her body is cracking up into pieces of glass and she's dissolving while she's doing ballet and i was like that one image even described to me in a tweet from a film critic is enough for me to be like sold fucking sold <laughs> this is my jam <laughs> yeah that sounds great i'm there on opening night done yeah it's it's fascinating to think what think about what movies work for remakes and what don't because i'm generally very opposed to remakes like stop hollywood needs to stop this horrible trend but as you say this is a film that like it's a very good movie i really enjoyed it it's a cult classic for a reason it like innovates things in certain ways like if you tried to do a straight remake of this in 2018, it would absolutely not work, but I don't believe that Luke Guadagnino is going to do that, right? But if, but not doing a straight remake could be really fascinating because there is stuff about it that isn't a masterpiece, and it's schlocky and plotty, which I think can lead to good remake stuff because if you're just trying to re remake like a sort of pure classic, that doesn't work. If you're trying to remake just like a dumb action movie, which is what Hollywood is always trying to do, yeah. there's like no point. Like, but this no. is kind of a perfect, <laughs> yeah, this is like a perfect in-between place where there's enough in it that is genuinely like intriguing and could produce great art in a different way, but also stuff that's like not the best. I just think it's a really good, good choice yeah, it's for a that. Really interesting Oh, and also Tom York from Radiohead is doing the music. Which is another Perfect. fantastic choice. Perfect. Um, I imagine people were flinging themselves at a Luca Guadagnino <laughs> to yeah. make stuff with him. Um, I've thought of an interesting, I've thought of a potential reversal of this concept, right? Where it's like you take something that's like bad high art and make it into like a fun schlocky thriller. I want <laughs> like a dumb thriller version, maybe starring starring Jennifer Lopez. I want a Jennifer Lopez sex thriller version of the movie, movie Mother by Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I'm sold. Pitch that to Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> Remake nothing. Just I want to just fucking go into Darren Aronofsky's house and insult him and be like, this film is going to be just objectively better in every regard. And it's going to be dumb as hell. <laughs> oh my God. He would be, he would be so angry. <laughs> and it's such a beautiful, beautiful way. Yeah. That's, that's a good challenge. Listeners, Come at us with your best <laughs> suggestions of bad remakes of bad art films. Just, <laughs> I want to hear them. Come on. Uh, Actually, speaking of which, um, we are going to do a listener question episode, but it will be for Patreon people. So if you want to like get a question in, uh, find us on Patreon over Invested Podcast. Shoot us a question. We're going to kind of record it and stick it on there. Um, but our... Our next kind of general podcast, I believe, will be Attack of the Clones. Get ready. Get ready. Yes, bitch. (laughs) Will we be doing another commentary track? That's the question. Um, I I feel like the experience will be more tolerable for you if I'm talking to you while you're watching it, if you're able to vent, because if you have to silently watch Attack of the Clones. (laughs) Yes, I don't think that will go well. So, yeah. We'll also have a commentary track of that. There's going to be so much. Yeah. So much for for new listeners, soon. this is the second in a now trilogy of um, re-watching slash watching the Star Wars prequel trilogy, which someone paid us a lot of money to do. So the first Phantom Menace podcast already went up a couple of months ago, and we also have a con- commentary track on Patreon if you want to like rewatch the Phantom Menace with us. We will be doing the same thing with Attack of the Clones. And because our patron, uh, because our patron, Eleanor, also gave us money for the third film, that will be coming too. So we are going to be watching all three. Um, I'm hyped. I'm looking forward to re-watching the film Attack of the Clones, which has the best scene in film, festi- in film history where someone eats a pear. Um, look forward to it. <laughs> I don't remember this movie at all. Well, someone so eats a pear. I can't wait. I have vague memories of the third one, as I did of the first one. But the second one, except for the fact that there's something in the desert and Natalie Portman wears the dumb shirt with no with the midriff showing, that's basically all I've got. That's the only thing in my brain from this. So it's going to be quite an experience. I've got some us, bad news for I you think. because I did watch, I did obviously rewatch these a few years ago. The scene where she wears the dumb midriff outfit is actually one of the better moments in Queen Amidala's canonical st- story because she actually gets to make choices on her own behalf. So... <laughs> Get ready, Can't bitch. wait. <laughs> Cannot wait. Well, thank you so much to Thomas for funding this episode. I hope that you enjoyed listening to it, and I hope that all of you enjoyed listening to it. Thank you so much, as always. Aside from our Patreon, you can find us on Twitter at OverInvestedPod, on Tumblr at OverInvestedPodcast, and at our website, OverInvestedPodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.